0: Let's do the thing, uh, here we go. (laughs) uh, I've had those days too. Hi everybody. How's it going? My name is da- my name is Davidina. You also know me as Dave. He's eating a sandwich on all the platforms. It's nice to see you all again. This is the sa- this is the sandwich show, and uh, we're doing a sandwich corner tonight, which means we'll also be on Spotify and um, all the podcasting services this evening. Um, lots to get into, lots to unpack. Our, our friend Krickster checks in in chat, who says, "I just I feel like I just ate everything but a sandwich." <laughs> I hope you're well. I'm glad you had a good meal. I hope you're doing well. Uh, this network is so bad right now. I am so sorry, everybody. This is such a disaster. Um, but had not eaten yet. Got a variety of things from the Amazon Prime. Oh, right on, right on. So tonight we're going to be talking about golf. We, the U.S. Open had just just passed. It has a very unusual U.S. Open this year from L.A. Country Club. But I was privileged to be in the mix for practice round with my dad last week and that was an awesome time i guess that experience is not shared by everybody else um but it's good to see you all we're going to introduce our panel in a minute uh mike is still 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 about to join us so i think we'll be going with three people for the time being until until mike gets here so um give me a second here i need to adjust the thing in order for that to all right and come on there we go okay great so yeah, if you have any comments about golf during our, our show tonight, uh, feel free to throw them in the chat. Uh, we'll have limited uh, point redeems until our roundtable discussion is over. Um, nice to have you all here, though. Um, oh, pardon me. Um, so let's go ahead and introduce our panel tonight. <laughs> the buffer, yeah, it's. I'm telling you, somebody's uploading a thing, and and I told them I was. I told them I was streaming, but whatever. We're gonna get through it uh let's go get let's go t- chat to our friends tonight um first i want to say hello to our good friend um oh hold on, let me turn this down first okay um so we're talking about the us open wyndham clark was the winner it was a most unusual open and this comes in just days after live and the pga tour had merged we're going to talk about that too later in the show after our coverage um so first let me introduce to you our first guest of the night And he would be our friend John in Connecticut. John, it is really good to have you here on our summer solstice. The summer is now officially here. Um, How's it going tonight, John?
1: Doing well, Dave. Yeah, thanks for having us back. Longest day of the year. uh, First day of summer. So, um, yeah, excited to talk some golf. This was a very interesting tournament. Um, We had all different types of players in the mix. And obviously, Wyndham Clark comes up on top. We have a lot to discuss, whether it be the course, the broadcasting, the people involved, and obviously the overarching story with Liv and um, the PGA Tour merging. So, yeah, lots to discuss tonight. Thanks for having me.
0: Absolutely, John. It's always good to do these. You know, and, and I, I will say, like, the, this merger is really putting this show in a cro- this particular series, the, the golf series in a crossroads because I'm just – I. I don't know what to i don't know what to do at this point i mean following the tour is going to be weird because when you know but anyway we'll get to that later uh let's also introduce andy to the show andy's night andy in seattle is with us how's it going andy uh doing well
2: dave is your roommate uploading something i didn't. i didn't get that
0: yeah i think i think that's what's going on because like it's so slow like it usually what happens when when someone's uploading a thing so it's a it's it's just crazy. Oh, okay, this is not a good scene to be using tonight. Now it's it's because Mike's not here yet. We have to go to this, which okay, that's better. <laughs> I'm so sorry. This is a this is kind of this is kind of crazy. Now it looks like Jeopardy. I'm I'm, I'm sorry, Andy. How, but are you are you you're hanging in there? Um, how was your weekend? Did, you were at Chambers Bay. I mean that that's pretty awesome. Like, tell us a little bit about that. But as we, uh, yeah, well,
2: Chambers. Well, first, first, first. First and foremost, yeah. I mean, just plow plow through the reverb. We're just going to be talking. John going to be talking like like it's not, like no different than any of the other programs. But speaking of your affinity for sandwiches and summer solstice, Potbelly. I don't know if you ever go to Potbelly or if they have them in Santa Monica, but Potbelly had a BOGO buy one, get one promotion in conjunction with summer solstice today. So <laughs> I partook. So we're going to have uh, – leftover potbelly for dinner tonight. Very frugal, very efficient with our funds. So we're looking forward to that, but yeah, um, Saturday I played chambers Bay, but Sunday I was glued. I was on top of the golf more so than PGA championship last month. Cause I was in San Diego, but yeah, I was on top of the golf Thursday, Friday, not so much Saturday, but start to finish soup to nuts on Sunday. Um, I'll defend the course, like you guys, I'll I will uh kill Azinger if you guys wanna kill Azinger. Um I will we can praise Wyndham while at the same time knocking Rory. We can defend the course. We could we're gonna do it all. Looking forward to this chat, looking forward to hearing John and, and Mike's thought as well, looking forward to John talking about the travelers. Everything. Everything's on the table tonight.
0: Yeah, you're right about that, Andy. I, I, this is—I knew—I had a good feeling. This is going to be—I have a feeling this is going to be a very spirited discussion tonight. So I'm really glad to have you back, Mike. You're an extremely appropriate back or drop. <laughs> good to see you, Mike. How's it going tonight?
3: Uh, I'm doing pretty well, Dave. Yes, I figured if our uh, new golf overlords desi- uh, <laughs> desire to tune into this program, perhaps I can make them feel a little bit uh. more at home so uh his excellency mbs if you're watching i look forward to what you bring to the sport please don't behead me <sighs> i
0: when we get to that part of the show mike i i'm gonna definitely lean on all of you to carry that because i i am struggling with this right now uh john so john andy mike it's great to have y'all back um and yeah, Andy's right. I, L.A. Country Club got killed in the social media, and honestly, I didn't really feel the same way, except for one thing. I did think it was too big. Mike is right. Mike Mike might mention that in text. I did think it was too big. The fairways were so big, like it definitely hit hit a lot of warts for some players. You know, we we talked about that in the final round. Um, but the winner of the tournament, Wyndham Clark. Not the guy that I don't think any of us were rooting for. Like, a lot of people were rooting for Ricky. A lot of people were rooting for Rory. A lot of people were rooting for uh, Shoffley earlier in the round. I I don't think anyone was... Not a lot of people were rooting for Wyndham Clark. I mean, people in Denver are good on Denver. But (laughs) other than that, I don't remember a huge Wyndham Clark contingent. So, Mike, we'll give it to you first to to talk about this. I mean, again, I feel like the winner of the tournament is like the smallest part of the story. The biggest part of the story is LACC which is just it's just such a it was a very weird event you know you barely had anybody there and and I was there so I can tell you that there were just not that many places for patrons to be they they just the course was laid out in a way where you couldn't really have a lot of people gathered down the fairway of any hole it's just a weird setup so you had only these little pockets and it was tough to like go across it was very and people were talking about how hilly it was it was very hilly it was like i put it up there with augusta like it's really really hilly so Mike, uh, let's go to you and get your thoughts on Wyndham, but also just, I it's a, it's a weird one to do because like normally we do like the you do you do the field then you do the surprise disappointments but I feel like I want to talk more about the course and the club and the setup and the t- telecast you know so Mike I'll give you the four first. I mean yeah Wyndham did a great job obviously um your thoughts on the on the finish and and the winner.
3: Yeah, Dave, I'll, I'll echo your sentiment here. It's that we have so many balls in the air in, uh, involving this event, the the surrounding uh, landscape of professional golf, which we all know about, the uh, Public Investment Fund PGA Tour merger, which I'm sure we'll get into more later, that it, it does distract from uh, Wyndham Clark, his performance, a very impressive performance, um, be that. Um, but... Yeah, it, it, it does get overshadowed here because, look, if you just look at the event itself or how it played out, you have a guy who, yeah, listen, all of us know who Wyndham Clark is, but to the public at large, he's not very well known. He was going off at anywhere from 80 to 100 to 1. But when you see the guy play, the shots he can hit, the 190 mile an hour ball speed, the... Uh, the ability to hit these sky-high fairway woods with this baby cut into par five stopping them on a US open course, uh, I think what he goes to show is just how deep and talented the world of professional golf is now. I mean, if you look at who Rory McElroy is, why he was so lauded besides the winning, it had to do with the power, the uh ability to launch shots way up in the air, the ability to stop balls and uh, on sections of greens that other people couldn't, but he's going head to head with Wyndham Clark and I'm granted different pairings, but it's not like, you, you know, it's not like when Tiger Woods took on a uh, Rocco Mediate or Bob may, where one guy is so clearly outclassed physically, can't hit the same shots, can't take the same lines, but he was able to stick with him for a bit. That's wasn't, that wasn't what we saw at all. We saw a, a guy who's not a household name, basically be able to match Rory off the tee for the most part, be able to match him uh, with second shots into the greens. Um, and, and this big advantage that you would think Mcroy would have, he didn't have. The guy was physically as talented as him. So that's really the, the eye-opening thing, is that we know that we have a lot of great players uh, in the sport, but Wyndham Clark... I, I frankly I'll be honest with you I did not realize he was that good I mean he he has every shot in a bag he he has that ability to hit to you know hit shots that you would figure most people can't hit and he could go punch for punch with physically one of the most talented players in the world now I guess uh to get on Rory real quick it, it It was so eerie how similar this was to the British Open final round where, look, he didn't choke. He didn't shoot five or six over. He hit the ball pretty well, um, but he couldn't make a putt. What really derailed him early on was that on three, he had a makeable birdie putt. On six, he should have been able to get a fair – he hit his shot on six, the short four, a little bit too far to the right. He was in the rough – he wasn't able to make birdie there. And then on the par five, he misses the short putt for in what should have been an easy up and down. And he had one other good birdie opportunity too on the front nine, which is not, uh, uh, and I said this in the, uh, in the chat that he had to make one or two of those. And if he didn't, it would bite him in the ass. So that's basically what happened. The front nine on this course, you could get the back nine. You were more trying to hang on. Um, And Rory, he just combination of mostly putting, but you can tell what I I think Rory has issues with now is that he knows that his blow up holes and his big numbers happen from hitting these wild short iron shots, short to mid iron shots. So what I think he's he's done in both the British Open last year and in the final round this year is that he plays a very safe approach game where he knows, okay, if I hit my miss, it's going to end up here and not in a place that's going to screw me. But, you know, if you put yourself in position, sometimes playing smart involves taking a little bit of risk with those second shots when the opportunity presents himself. And he's just so prone to these big misses now that I think he shies away from doing. And as a result, he doesn't get as many birdie opportunities as he would when he was at his absolute best. Cause it seemed like nine holes of the round, he would have 10 feet or less for birdie at his very best when he was in high gear. So, uh, another disappointing, uh, result from him. Look, uh, if if you want to look at the glass, uh, half full, I guess is that in the, the nine years that it's been since he's won a major, his two best chances really have come in the last what three. So I, guess you could say maybe he's getting close but you know what there's also a lot of scar tissue building up here so I mean look he won at Hoylake so and that's the next major so who knows but yeah another uh disappointing disappointing result if you were uh pulling for Rory McIlroy
0: yeah 100 percent and What's interesting about that final round is that I don't think anyone was really that surprised at how Ricky did because Ricky was technically, like, maybe one-stroke back or even tied. No, no. What happened was on Saturday, he had a chance to go into the final round with a one-stroke lead, and then he missed the putt, and then he missed again. And it was just like, that's Ricky Fowler in a nutshell. It's like, ugh. At that point, you were like, now he's probably going to fall apart, and he did. He was never really a factor after, I don't know, the sixth or seventh hole, so... It's just interesting to see that no one's really shocked or surprised, I'm like, oh my gosh, where did I go wrong? Like everybody's kind of seen that before. Um, so let's go to John. Let's get your thoughts on on the field and and Wyndham and and the final round and and the whole thing.
1: Yeah. So yeah, I agree with with what Mike said. Um, do you guys know that faders win the U.S. Open? I mean, um, you know, take a shot every every time you heard that uh, from from Paul Azinger uh, on the broadcast, but but um. You know, uh, Wyndham Clark. He, when you look at his stats, he was always known as a guy who could drive the ball incredibly long, and he could putt. Those are his only two like really good skill sets. And he, it wasn't he wasn't reaching like a, a level of being a winner on the PGA Tour. He had never won an event until this year. Um, he'd just been kind of like middling results. He'd, he'd kind of have a, like a, a spike putting week, and he might get in the top twenty or something. And that had that's been kind of like his claim to like the the game that he had for the past few years when he was on tour. However, this year, if you look at his stats, his approach numbers are just off the charts. Um, Starting with the uh, Farmers Open earlier in January, he hasn't lost on an approach um, in terms of uh, strokes gained on approach in a single tournament since then. And that's really what turned his game around. So if you add that incredible approach play to what was already elite distance and driving and putting, and you have a, a great golfer. Um, that can contend with the best players in the world and you saw like this incredible short game on display you know on, on Sunday where he had to get up and down on numerous occasions um when his his irons weren't admittedly they weren't as crisp as they as they have been um you know the on 9 he had, he made that amazing up and down um the the 17th hole i mean that was a pretty easy chip from where he he, he landed there on that shot um, but there's a there's a couple other holes too i believe where he he got up and down with just you know really clutch he was making those clutch like 8 foot putts for par which you have to do in a US open so this is really the culmination i guess of a guy who clearly really worked on his game to improve his deficiencies and has gone from just kind of an average tour player to one of the the better players on the PGA tour like i was thinking of like actually betting him last week he was, but he just kind of missed the cut um, obviously, I didn't do it because I would have been touting winning already. But, like, he was – I was not surprised to see him do well. I actually – I bet him at the PGA Championship because, you know, coming off the win at Wells Fargo, like, the PGA Championship, course, set up really well for him. And I just – he kind of had a let down there and missed the cup. But, like, all the staff and everything were still there. So, uh, I'm not surprised to see him get this performance um, and get this victory. And, you know, we'll we'll see where it goes from here. I mean, he definitely has the game to to stay up there in the upper echelon of players um but you know it, it just comes and goes i mean just look at justin thomas just like shot an 83 in the us open his game is just in a horrible place right now so you know you gotta you gotta strike while the iron is hot so we'll see what happens but he definitely he definitely has the physical tools um to stay you know in the top of the game of golf um i guess a few other just random comments i guess um yeah Maclroy disappointing for sure um yeah, he, he couldn't put uh, the whole the, the 14th hole just destroyed him. The, the par five where he, you know, he probably should have just kind of blasted a wood like around the green. Like they were saying, like, why did he lay up? Because his you <laughs> know his wedge game is like shit right now. Like just blast it around the green and see what happens. Like I know he, you could have gotten like a terrible lie in the fescue or a bunker or whatever, but I mean, at that point, just take a chance, you know, and I think it, the worst he could probably done was make a par. If he was, he blasted it up by the green. And that was the difference in terms of, you know, getting to the playoff. Um, I mean, I, I guess we'll get to the course after. But, yeah, some of the shots, like the fairways were just way too wide, uh, especially on the 18th hole. And you guys mentioned it in the text thread. Like any other U.S. Open course in the world, Wyndham Clark is in the trees or in the rough on his, with his drive on the 18th hole. It's just a huge slice. But it's the fairway is like 60 yards wide. Like, it's okay. It's in the fairway. Um, and I guess the only other thing I'll say right now about the course is, it's never a great thing. When you need the sun to come out for the course to be difficult, like that's just, you know, just crazy. Like it was so the morning like marine layer and, and dew or whatever just made it so soft and the guys were just attacking the flags. Otherwise there was no defense to the course. So um, you know, I I mean I enjoyed the layout and the intricacies of it. It just it's just probably not a US open course. But um yeah, we can we can talk about that more. But yeah, in general, um again, not surprised by how well Wyndham Clark played and that he he took the title.
0: He did indeed, John. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to the course part of the set of the segment because I there's a lot to unpack. I think, and um, we'll go to Andy. Let's get your thoughts too.
2: Yeah, I'll table the thoughts on the course. I'll save my 12 cents for the for that segment. <laughs> but um, in terms of the golf, Wyndham, Rory, um, yeah, like Tommy on Sunday was texting, like, should I know who Wyndham Clark is? I'm like. Probably. And he was like, what's he done in majors? And I was like, nothing better than 75th. And he's like, then I shouldn't know who Wyndham Clark is. He's a nobody. Uh, so right then and there, I should have rethought my Scheffler before round four pick. And then I definitely should not have picked Rory on the back nine. But I am an absolute clown. I The definition of the sandy is doing something over and over again. It's like, we're fading Rory on Sundays, and what do we do on Sunday when it, like at that point, Fowler had cooked his goose, it was basically, uh, Scheffler had cooked his goose, it was only Wyndham and only Rory, Rory was minus 105, uh, down a stroke, and I I, I lied bet Rory, had to pay the bookie on Sunday, all week long, I made the right amount of bets, just to avoid paying the bookie to stay under that threshold, because it's minus two, whatever it is, doesn't matter, but. Uh, anyway, I had to pay the bookie, but so Wyndham Clark, he, um, he, his like mannerisms, it, the way he swings the club, I don't know. He, it kind of reminded me of a hybrid of like Alex Noren and Daniel Berger. Like statistically, I don't think that that might not make sense at all, but just watching him and like, it kind of looks like Alex Noren and, and Daniel Berger had a baby, um, but to, to the other guy's points, yeah. I mean that that cut was working, except on 18. As John, as we t- all texted together, like that he that was a legitimate slice. Any other course, any other major, he's in the rough. Like if that was uh, uh, where the PGA was last year in Southern Hills, that's basically where like Pereira ended up. You know that similar ball ball flight, but a couple you know big scenarios that basically got Wyndham to where he was was the birdie on Saturday night on 18 after the bogey on 17 that was a great approach shot in the twilight um when he whiffed out of the barranca whatever you want to call it like he could have easily have gotten an 8 you know a 6 on that hole was was a great score. We were all like, "Oh, finally." Because at that point, the US Open, we were very close to like all he needs to do is just make pars and he's going to win this. And then he he got that bogey on 8. Could have been could have been 8, could have been a 7. So a 6 was good in that spot. Um you know, John and Mike mentioned the up-and-down ability on nine, the up-and-down ability on 11. Um, even a five on 16 was actually halfway decent because he w- he hit it in the fairway bunker, and then his uh, he had to get out of the bunker, and he was like 130 yards laying three. He didn't go up and down. But, I mean, that could have been worse. Like, that, you know, there's no, no gimme of reaching – uh, hitting the green from 130 yards out on 17, but he did, you know, and he missed that putt for a five, or a t- he missed the putt to save par. Um, so he 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 did all the good things. All credit to him. Now with Rory, thing that bothered me about Rory, and and Mike like broke it down perfectly, like avoiding the big miss and. And John mentioned exactly what we were all thinking too on fourteen. Um, so Noah Begay was like, "I'm right in front of this lie. Like, it's not bad. It's, a lot of people have been walking through this area. It's, it's, it's Yeah, it's in the rough, but it's, it's pretty bare. Uh, the if he if he hits a flyer and goes for the green and two, like he could still make par. And the next day, there's like a thread on Twitter about everyone." uh all the other players in that spot that went for two where basically where rory was and they like bryson was there and the likelihood of making bogey from that spot was very slim there was you know they had the flow chart and like a shot chart basketball where all the shots ended up but you know if rory could have a do-over he might reconsider going for two there rather than laying up because that wedge was horrendous absolutely horrendous and the fact that it almost—he like, even got the gratuitous um, relief because obviously it was plugged. Obviously, "Why did you get a plug?" Because that's that—that's the legit rule. It was an embedded, embedded ball that actually worked out for him, but he still wasn't able to go up and down. And yeah, uh, the 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 short miss on eight was was atrocious. What what bothered me about Rory is—I um, mean, it doesn't bother me. Like, who who am I? But. You know it's Rory, but the fact that he didn't make a birdie after the first hole was just is just so haunting. And and Wyndham was great, but the other thing that was haunting is it's not that not like Rory had like there wasn't a group of players that he was locking horns with. It wasn't Kepka, it wasn't DJ, it wasn't Cantlay, it wasn't Shoffley. You know how like in some of those majors you get like five guys in the hunt on the back nine. It was it was one. It was one guy one Wyndham Clark and Roy wasn't able to slay the beast and he's saying all the right things he's close he's close he's almost there he's got good things to look forward to and yeah the open is familiar territory for him and like I said I, he's got to probably win East Lake. it'll be a great year for him Amanda Valionis will shower and showering him with the compliments but I mean gosh like this was a opportunity squandered big time <clears throat> to use shambles adjectives that gap wedge that wedge shot was criminally uh he used the word uh or the phrase a criminal miscue uh and it was it really was and it's like it's so weird like you, Rory getting sixes on par 5s like you, that's that's not supposed to happen you're supposed to get a four on a par 5 If you're someone like Rory and, uh, just very haunting, very haunting, but fair play to Wyndham, U S open champion, and definitely going to be on the Ryder cup team now. So, um, yeah, you're going to be seeing him for the rest of the year. High profile.
0: Yeah. I mean, he really arrived in on a, and he really built his brand or maybe his brand arrived on, on this, on this particular weekend. You know, I loved your point, Andy, about Rory leaving those putts, sh- leaving those putts short on the front nine, because that honestly is where I think he lost it. Like he really could have built himself up, a, some, some, you know, like he could have, he could have built himself some breathing room if he had just made some of those shots on the back nine. There was so many like opportunities, and when you think about a course that's really tailored for the long range golfer of the 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 ball strikers, it's it is it's just it's it's kind of un- it's it's. it's surprising to me at least to see that this he couldn't have taken more advantage of that scenario whereas uh, maybe some of those guys did Wouldn't them obviously did so um thanks everybody for your recap everybody this has been that was really good um so we get to the rest of the field i mean it was a pretty competitive field one thing i think i want to comment on a little bit as we get into and we'll just kind of put this all together because i want to get i really do want to move towards the course talk um but this is related too like so we had a lot of people shooting low scores on thursday and and that's true what mike or john was saying it was that the idea that the course's difficulty level rides solely on the sun being out <laughs> i definitely didn't think that was going to be that big of a factor going in and as much as i'm familiar with marine layers living where i do um I thought this course was going to be tougher than it was. I was a little disappointed from that standpoint. It looked really tough. Like it looked like you had the you had the Barrancas, you had the you had the you had all the the tough uh, like uh, the grass. You had like a you had the fifteenth hole where it was just like eighty yards, but it was a green surrounded by bunkers. Like I really thought it was going to be a tougher course, but the fact is, you had so many players with low scores, in particular going into. Um, into Friday and Saturday, it was like, you know, guys were like nine under they're at 11 under. It was wild. Um, Very competitive round on Saturday. Then, or no, I'm sorry, competitive round on Friday into Saturday. And then I think that's at the point where the cream started to rise at the top. So Mike, let's get your thoughts on the rest of the field. And I think you can go ahead and merge the, merge, merge the uh, surprise and disappointments into
3: that. Uh, Well, rest of the field, let's see. Uh, You know, I'll kind of merge this into the course. I'll quickly talk about it because I I know you wanted to go there anyway. Mm -hmm. So and considering that there were only a couple of people that really had a chance to win it at the end, there's not necessarily that much to talk about. Uh, Quickly touch on Ricky Fowler. Like, look, uh, on this show over the years, we've given Ricky Feller a lot of grief, and I think rightfully so, not necessarily because of anything he does or how he carries himself, but just the idea that he was hyped up for so many years as being this uh, – about to be this generational player, and it was just – like, he he was a good player, and it looks like he's back to being a good player, but he was – like, they talked about him in the same breath as Rory McIlroy, and he was never that talented, and it just – it wasn't warranted. Yeah, yeah, he's a good looking guy who would dress in all orange and a lot of kids like them. But like, come on, he wasn't he wasn't ever on the trajectory to be some generational player or some guy that we would talk about as one of the you know greats of his time. So the whole thing was ridiculous. That said, the last few years, he's been playing worse than he actually is. Like, he's not a guy. He has enough talent that he shouldn't necessarily be having to fight for a tour card or missing the FedEx cup playoff. So, you know, credit to him. He went, he sought out Butch Harmon, who may be a little bit, uh, lawn in the tooth, but, uh, he said, Hey, let's try to fix this. And it looks like he's, you know, going to be back to near the level, uh, where he was at. I wasn't surprised. He wasn't able to hold it together. It's been a long time since he's been in a spot like this. And even if you have the feelings before you hear golfers talk about this, when, um, if you've been out of of it for a while, it's difficult to first time you're back in. it's difficult to react to it. So encouraging signs from him, but, uh, who knows? Uh, I guess Xander Shoffley, another sort of, I don't know, a couple of years ago, the guy seemed like he was primed to win a couple of majors. Now you don't know. It's like he, he still has some, he has talent, but you know, as we saw with Wyndham Clark, a lot of guys have talent. So, and he just seems to get a little bit tight, uh, lay no surprise not performing well in a major he's just uh, i wouldn't touch him at, at any of the big events it's weird he seems to be one of those guys who his skill set maybe he's uh where the the sum is greater than the parts and that sort of gets exposed a little bit when you ramp up the difficulty level of the course uh max holman not really surprised you know there was a lot of hype about him because of his record at riviera uh, his success on the West Coast. Um, but, yeah, he hasn't been playing well recently, so I'm, I'm not shocked that um, he didn't do so well. Getting to the course, yeah, there's a few things going on here. Um, you know, one of the challenges, because what they were trying to do here is they were almost looking to not set this up like a traditional U.S. Open, but almost accentuate this idea that LA Country Club is more built in the style of, let's say, a sandbelt course in Australia, like a Royal Melbourne or something like that, where the idea was the difficulty would come at, uh, from the firmness. And because the fairway sort of would kick things off into the heavy rough, you could make them wide because the firmness would effectively make them play smaller. And even if guys were in the fairway, the firmness of the greens would dictate angles and make things difficult. But listen, the what you need for that, though, is you need some sort of predictable weather conditions that will keep or turf conditions that will keep the course firm. You have that in Lynx courses because it's this unique meetup of the sand and the soil and that, that stays rock hard. So you can build links courses like that and generally have them be a challenge. Although we see in the open championship, sometimes the conditions are right. The guys actually torch the course. So what happened was, is they clearly, clearly underestimated how soft the course was going to get over the first couple of days. And as a result, because of this persistent Marine layer, because of conditions leading up to it, the course played much softer than anticipated. And what that did is that made these fairways that were super wide play like they were super wide. So as a result, you didn't, you had a lot of holes where guys were really not challenged off the tee where they could afford to misfire a little bit. And granted, look, a a lot of great courses have that to some extent, but you don't really see that in U S opens, not traditionally. Now, they sort of tried to go, or they were initially going to go with a setup like this the last time that it, uh, the U.S. Open came around to Shinnecock, and I think the membership there sort of anticipated something like this could happen because about a year out, they said, no, 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 we can't do this. Fairways are too wide, and they narrowed up all the fairways. So, look, it, it, the U.S. Open is coming back to this course. It's already scheduled That's right. for 2030-something, Will they possibly change the corridors a little bit for that? Maybe. I don't know. Um, will there be advances in agronomy that allow you to firm up the course? Probably not. Um, if it had played under the right conditions, um I, I think you would get more of a challenge. But I, I did listen, I I I almost think that this event is sort of a perhaps a tipping point for how we view golf courses and whatnot because there's been this big movement to restore everything and part of the restorations involve huge fairways the idea that we're going to emphasize angles into the greens give you room off the tee but you know you're starting to see a little bit of a pushback to that that uh, this idea that the pro game the elite player Needs to be challenged a bit more off the tee. Otherwise, with modern technology, it renders everything futile. And I think especially the first couple of days, you kind of saw that. If angles be damned, if you hit the ball 350 yards, you're going to be able to knock an iron high, high enough in the air and you're going to get away with it. Um so, And then one other thing I would say about this course. Listen, I think this is a really, really, really good golf course. There's a lot of beautiful holes. Uh, the 6 hole is one of the great short par fours I've ever seen. The collection of par threes is outstanding. And I alluded to this in our uh, group chat. It's just the holes themselves, the size of the fairways, the size of the greens, they're on such a grand scale that you can sort of get lost in just these seas of green when you see it on tv and it sort of um obscures the features a little bit so i don't think it presented as well on tv as uh as the course actually is in terms of the quality but like i said they're going to be back here again and uh we'll see if they take on a uh a different philosophy going forward
0: that's a great quote qual- that's a great question mike and you know, it's it just seems like it's funny that they would have that. And I think they announced that they were going back like maybe days before the tournament started. Which I, I wonder if the USGA kind of looks back on them like you know maybe maybe jump the gun on this, <laughs> seeing what's happened. Um, well,
3: I... No, Dave, that's one thing I'll quickly bring up. If you mm-hmm. look at future U.S. Open sites, they have almost all of them full until 2050, which makes absolutely no sense. Yeah. The, the USGA, look, if you want to say we're having the t- 2050 U.S. Open at Marion to commemorate 100 years since Ben Hogan's famous win, fine. But they literally have the vast majority of slots through 2050 filled and it just it doesn't make sense trends come and go yeah. what courses are considered great come and go technology is going to change so i don't know what the usga is doing just a quick aside into that having basically their whole schedule filled up for the next 30 years
0: i would like to kind of take a moment to before we go to andy and everybody else but um give me a second here oh, there we go okay cool um I do appreciate your text, your text update that they announced that Riviera is going to get the open in 2031. That's big news, big news. So uh, because it was a big topic, too, because like they there was like discussion about for whatever reason that was left open. And I don't know why that gap was there. Like, why did they announce everything to 2050 except for 2031? But they filled that today. With that announcement, and I think it's a good call, but we'll find out, Mike. But what do you have any insight as to that scenario?
3: That directed to me, Dave? Yeah, yeah, I was. Because, like, I I was curious as to what... Why would there have been a gap? You know what? I I was a little bit asleep on the wheel on this. Apparently, this had been rumored pretty heavily for a bit, and... But um, but, yeah, they made it official. But this it wasn't like a surprise. Apparently, I, I actually I didn't know about that. I knew that uh, Riviera was the Olympic court, the mm-hmm. next uh, Olympic course. But I did not uh, realize that it was almost set in stone that they're going to have a U.S. Open there. But, you know, that'll be interesting to see what yeah. they, we know that Riviera is a challenge. And yeah, exactly. Could easily be a U.S. Sure. Open setup. So that should. Yeah. You know, that we should have work as well. Yeah. I think everyone would be surprised if it
0: didn't. 100%. Like, that'll be a much better challenge for the field than, than what we had at LCC. So um, thanks, Mike. I appreciate that extra that extra insight. Um, let's go back to John. And, uh, John, yeah, let's get your thoughts on the field. And also, I mean, we're kind of just all talking about it, everything at once. So, so field surprises and disappointments, course, uh, however you want to go attack that, uh, feel free to get your thoughts on the rest of the tournament at large.
1: Yes. Sorry if I cut out. I don't know what's going on with my internet here. Um, Oh, man. Tough tough scene uh, at the moment, but um, it is what it is. But, yeah, uh, what you guys were saying before about the course, um, the two things that made it very difficult, or I'm sorry, very, very difficult to have, like, high scores is the fairways were so wide and it was soft. And it doesn't matter, like, how long the course is going to be or how, you know, thick the rough is like if it's a soft course where guys can stay in the fairway and land their shots on the green um it's not going to be much of a challenge to pga tour professionals now granted when they were off the the fairway like it was brutal but the rough it would just the ball would just disappear um so that was definitely the the probably the biggest challenge and then you got like you know into the the hay and um you know whatever else the course had to offer but just those two facts alone, just the soft conditions and the fact that the fairways were so wide is just a recipe for, for low scores. Um, and the greens were pretty undulating too. I mean, some of these, these shots like these, um, you know, shots around the green, they like they're facing the other direction where they're hitting a putt or a chip. And, um, I, I think it could like, if it was playing like really, really firm and fast. I think there could have been some higher scores, but just the fact that it was soft and, um, I think it just, it just took a lot of the teeth out of it. So, um I did see that there is another us open scheduled there for I don't remember the year it's like maybe 15 years or something um so we'll see what happens by then uh the fact that of uh, I don't know if you guys mentioned it yet but about that, the the members bought half of the tickets and then just to like keep keep uh you know the masses off the property I guess um and it was a limited capacity as it was because they mentioned that numerous times during the broadcast but then I believe Mike pointed it out in the group chat, like that they bought, bought a bunch of the tickets. So it was just a very like wine and cheese kind of crowd. So good for you, Dave, for getting, for actually getting there. It was a practice round. So Thanks. that was a good job out of you. But um, yeah, it was, it was just kind of a very, um, I don't know. It, it, it felt more like this could be like a, P, a PGA championship course. And and I, and I hate saying that because the PGA championship has been really setting up their courses tough lately. This isn't like, you know, I remember as a kid watching Tiger at Medina shoot like 2,200 or something. It's like <laughs> something ridiculous like that. Like the PGA Championship has been really tough with their courses lately. So, um, you know, we'll see where the U.S. Open goes for here. Next year, we're scheduled. They're scheduled to go to Pinehurst, which honestly, I am not a fan of. It's Just a very bland, boring course to me from from what I remember watching it. But the the USGA just loves it for whatever reason. It'll be tough. I do know that it will be a tough course. But it's just to me, it was just very very boring like it's the famous thing where like the ball's rolling off the green and john daly is just so he's just had it so much he just whacks the ball or while it's rolling off the green it's the the uh one thing you know kind of the thing you remember about one of the things you remember about piners. but um yeah so uh that's kind of it about the course um you know the rest of the field i mean really isn't too much to say uh scotty Scheffler again just he's just relentless this dude is just a machine like you just you bet him top 10 every week and you just reap the rewards because he just doesn't go away. His iron game is just the best in the world. Um, it, it, again, we say it every week. If only Scotty could putt, he would win. And again, he probably missed a bunch of short ones where he, he probably would have won. I mean, it's just, it's the consistency of this dude is unbelievable and it's just something to behold at this point. Um, and just keep, keep the run going. A um, a nice, showing from cam smith uh in the top five um i think maybe he you know it kind of didn't give a shit we're like going to live because like what are you really playing for so he's just trying to gear up his game for just a couple tournaments a year and um you know you're starting to see like the results i guess coming now when we're in the major season we'll see how he does at the open championship next month and then um you know tommy fleetwood uh backdoor top 10 it's very uh, very Tommy like of him although i will say we didn't recap any of the canadian open what a playoff that was just to divert um nick taylor draining the 70 foot putt to beat tommy fleetwood and just like rob him of a of a pga tour win even though fleetwood could have closed it out numerous times before then but um you know that's kind of how it's kind of how he does things um but yeah it was a uh, you know not too much to say about the rest of the field i mean the usual suspects that we think would play well kind of did, but they really didn't get up there. Like Mike mentioned, Shoffley and Cantway And, you know, Victor Hovland didn't do anything spectac- spectacular, spectacular. He's in the top 20, same thing with John Rom. So yeah, I mean, it was, those guys, it's going to come in waves again for those guys. So um, yeah, that, that's about all I have to say about the field and um, the course in general.
0: Uh, I, I, I've, I totally, I told, I, I I feel, um, I appreciate that, John. Thanks for the, Recap, and, and, and I, I don't, and I completely vibe with you as far as the rest of the field, too. Like, we've said it probably as much as we probably could say about it, really. There wasn't much to talk about on Sunday either, as we were talking about all as well. I do want to say hello to a few people in our chat before we go to Andy, so just JT, thanks. It's great to see you, JT. It's really good. I asked JT what sandwich she had, if she had any sandwiches today, and the answer... She says, I had an egg salad on pumpernickel, rice, swirl bread, arugula, and bean sprouts for lunch. That just sounds amazing. Sounds so good. I'm glad you had a good lunch, JT. Uh, not Demo fellas. Good to see you in chat, too. Steam and Friend. Nice to see you again. Follow our friend Steam and Friend on Twitch, too. All right, back to Andy. So we, yeah, I mean, Ricky was Ricky. You called it. I called it. John and Mike called it. <laughs> We're nothing really to talk about there. Let's get your thoughts, thoughts on that. and... And, yeah, feel free to have throw some quick hitters about the course, too.
2: Yeah, poor Ricky, 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 Ricky. Go, Ricky. Fuck, Ricky. Enough. Uh, Dan Hicks <laughs> sounded like Ricky Fowler's father. Like, Dan, can you be any more transparent who you want to win? Ricky Fowler. In the beginning of the telecast, he's like, Oh, everyone's texting about Ricky. I, who's everyone? Who's everyone? But anyway, um, I was actually just looking up Scheffler. It's almost like, I mean, you basically just have to do it. So for top 10 at the Connecticut tournament is minus 175. Top five is plus 130, at least on my site. And it's like, man, that minus 175 is a lot of juice. But if you looked at what he's done, like he's he makes the top 10 every single time. And uh, he putted like Francesa and he finished third in a major three shots behind the champion. And, and even on Sunday, he wasn't as crisp. His other parts of the game actually wasn't even that good. Like he screwed up the first hole. He didn't birdie that. Uh, He had a terrible drive and his, his layup, was still in the rough and and then he he completely hooked uh it might have been nine it was one of the long par threes and he completely hooked the hell out of it basically a duck hook but all that to say even without like at not his best effort to finish number to finish third is is really 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 good um so yeah here i i'm I guess I have to bet on Scheffler top five. I have twelve hours to decide. But um some of the other guys in the field. Uh Cam Smith, as John mentioned, uh he screwed me in the one and done league where we had to pick two and I had Rama Lama Ding dong and I had Cantley and um the other guys had um they had Hovland and and Cam Smith his back nine. His back nine was really impressive because I think he was three under on the back nine on Sunday when everyone else was kind of blowing up. Uh, I don't have the stats in front of me, but he tore up that back nine on Sunday. And, uh, you know, if he was just a little better throughout the week, he would he would have been right there. I mean, he backdoored at fourth place. Um, John mentioned Tommy Fleetwood. hit that That entire round on Sunday was – was amazing the backdoor top five uh rick you know Minwoo lee good good job on him uh some other disappointments i would say xander shoffley was very disappointing after thursday ironically the oh I, you better tie this up there yeah, thank fucking god uh the two guys i shot eight under on thursday you, you really couldn't find them down the stretch on Sunday. I mean, Ricky, you did obviously. He was in the final group, but Xander really wasn't anywhere to be found. And Fowler, you know, it was only a matter of time. Uh, I want to say disappointing out of John Rahm. I'm it's allowed fair. to say that. Very fair. Because yeah. you know this. What started out as the year of John Rahm is kind of petered out, which just goes to show you golf. Golf isn't easy. Hot take. Golf is actually hard. Hot take. And uh he was I was getting um update from my buddy on Saturday when I wasn't watching because we both had uh keen interest on John Rahm and he was like, Rahm looks like an absolute donkey out there, button. Uh he looks like completely uninterested. Um you know, uh I don't want to say dis- like Kepka was disappointing, but it was very unkepka like um even the you know the start of his tournament you know i think he bogeyed one he just um he just didn't look all that there and i obviously he didn't, he didn't like the course based on his comments but you know Kepka always says the major majors are the easier or easier than regular tournaments but uh, maybe he got that one wrong at LACC uh any other disappointments off the top of my head i agree with uh Mike's point about Cantley. you know, he, he's very technical, very methodic. Obviously, maybe this needs to be a little more free flowing, but that might not be in his DNA. Uh, Dave, you were right about Bryson until the uh, until the last round. Yeah, he was right there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he absolutely. had a good three out of four days. Mm-hmm. So, um, good job by him for the most part. A lot of the live guys kind of represented the themselves pretty well, not including Patrick Reed. I mean, Sergio, he was he was pretty good. But, yeah, that uh, – Hovland, I'm going to say disappointing out of Hovland. D- but he didn't like the course either. Um, and then I'm not going to say disappointing out of Matt Factor because I think the the trend of defending uh, U.S. Opens is, is not good. Like, the, the, the guy that wins the previous year, they, they usually don't shine. So, sorry, Matt, not this time. Uh, In regards to the course, um, like it wouldn't be a U.S. Open if people weren't complaining about it from the from people like us to the actual players to the people on TV. Um, Now, I will say this about like. No, I get the lack of fans because, you know, of all the, the the Plodwick style of, you know. Making sure that only the hoitiest and the toitiest get to go and how they bought the tickets, and most of them went to the hospitality tents, this, that, and the other. And they don't want like the Beth Page Black type crowd, you know, on their sacred sod of LACC. But, um, but go ahead. If you do go, please buy like our, you know, $125 hoodies. Please, please, please. But, uh, anyway, the, um, you know, a lot of these, like Justin Thomas, you know, I find him tough to take, but he made a good point. Like some of these courses, like you mentioned Chambers Bay, he mentioned Aaron Hills, he mentioned this place. Like they are, they're good courses. They are major worthy courses. They have great views, like, but they are not uh, conducive to large spectators. Like not to make it all about me or whatever, but Chambers Bay, like, Chambers Bay has like some really good spots where you can see some really good golf and you can see a lot of great action. However, uh 72 year old, like Gertrude and 65 year old uh, Leroy, like they're going to twist an ankle and there's probably all sorts of uh, Liability situations, and you know, you can't build a grandstand on like uneven ground, right? You'd be able to like the four of us could perch up there and watch great golf all day long, but like you're not going to be able to get like three thousand people in that spot if if that makes sense. So, um, you know, you're you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. Like, yeah, if you want to have like if you want to have the most people ever, like watching U.S. Open on the ground, like, you're going to need a flat-ass course, like, like in the desert or something, you know? Or in the Midwest, where everything's flat. So, um, and, you know, like, Bandon Dunes is never going to have a, like, we'll never get a PGA event or a major probably for that same type of reason. It's just, the, the topography doesn't lend itself to, like, large, spectating situations. So, um, yeah, I, I I believe a lot of what Mike said about how like yeah the intent to have like sand belt style golf, uh, yeah, great idea on paper, but if there's a lot of moisture in the air, like this isn't this isn't Australia in the summer,
0: right? It's, right.
2: It's early June in in Los <laughs> Angeles. Like you're at the mercy of the weather, so mm-hmm. um, maybe they they're definitely going to. Uh, take all the feedback that they got from this year. And when we're all, when we're really old in 2042 or whenever they have (laughs) it, they will probably have a a better edition of, of the event. But um, I, the players that bashed the course, like that's, that's fair play. Like if you probably gave a lot of these players, like the, like acid test, the truth serum. They would. They would probably bash like a lot of courses that they play on. But the U.S. Open just seems to be a, a lightning rod for for more critical um, narratives of the course that they play on. You know. Yeah, that's true. Actually,
0: we've seen that. That's a. That's been a theme for many years. Yeah, that's true. And it's. I think that might be why they tend to gravitate towards a lot of the same courses again and again because they don't want that. So they just keep going back to certain ones. I think you mentioned, I mean, uh Piners was mentioned earlier in this in the stream, but then um Marion's gonna be in the mix again. Pebble Beach is gonna be a mix for like the 900,000th time. <laughs> yeah,
2: Pebble Beach every five years. Even yeah, I even I find that tough to take. But I love the <laughs> West Coast golf, but it's like Pebble, 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 Pebble.
0: <laughs> right? I mean, I love Pebble Beach, but it's like we can use a little variety in this rotation. Like, you know so, uh, probably just like the Miami of like golf of like uh, U.S. open. Cause like, it's just like all the time you see them in, in this thing. So yeah, I mean, that's, that's a great analysis, Andy. Um, I think what we, we normally would go about course and telecast, both of them sucked. <laughs> but no, no, the course is good. The course was good. I don't want to get into that. I mean, it's easy to say the course suck because of how easy it seemed for a lot of players. It was a beautiful course, but as Mike, really well really put really nicely put it it's just not built for this kind of an event like the fairways is so wide and I will tell you I was in the mix like as we were, t- were talking about earlier I wasn't able to do a practice on my dad the 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 yeah I mean and it was like kind of the most overcast day of the of the of the weekend I think um but yeah that I, I could feel it in my feet like it was really spongy the fairway was really spongy it felt great. I, I would love to play football in that field. But it's it was very spongy, very moist. Yeah, I guess it's not that surprising when you see how the scores the scores were early in retrospect. So it was what it was. Yeah, and a terrible job at LACC, but it is what it is, you know. That is one of the stuffiest clubs I've ever heard of in my life. Like, you ever read, like, the regulations at their website? You can't wear shorts. You can't do this. You can't do that. And it would, if at a certain time you have to wear a sport coat in the... Why do you have to wear a sport coat in the clubhouse? Like, what, what is that about? Like, I don't, it's just ridiculous. But Mike, I'll, I'll give it to you for that. I I think we all even said in the text, like, this is an even worse telecast than normal. And I felt that too. It was really underwhelming. So Mike, I'll give it to you first, of course, and, and television thoughts.
3: Well, uh, quickly to respond to Andy's comment about how you can't build a grandstand on uneven ground. If you can build a submersible out of stuff that's been left on the curb on trash night and try to send it to the Titanic, I think uh, certain entities may be willing to build a grandstand on uneven ground. Construction quality seems to really be going downhill these days in the name of making profit, but uh, oh, that's neither here nor there. Oh, my. Um, to get on to LACC and what happened here, like, look, let's be honest, this, this was a complete disgrace. Um, in terms of how they handled the ticket scenario. Uh, They had, I think it was the 2017 Walker Cup at LACC. And I remember maybe it was 2019, whatever year it was. Um, And that was like their big welcome back thing uh, where they had opened their doors to the public again. And I remember, because I knew the US Open was going to be there. I knew that LACC was this great, historic storied course that we had never really seen. So I, I paid a little bit of attention to that and monitoring social media and stuff. I saw a number of things where writers and whatnot said that they got the distinct sense that the membership did not want them there. And there, there was this idea, well, if you don't want people walking around on your course, why are you having the event? Um, So they were selling 23,000 tickets a day uh, to this event, which is less than usual. But look, that that happens sometimes. They did that at Marion. But the caveat was that 14,000 of those tickets were high-end hospitality tickets, which were available to the membership. And then of the 9,000 general admission tickets, LACC bought 4,500 of them. And it's rumored they tried to buy all of them. This course tried to turn the U.S. Open into basically this wine and cheese event for their membership and for associates of their membership. When the USGA was negotiating with them, they never, ever, ever should have allowed such such circumstances to occur. This is our national Open. One of the appealing things about it is that anyone theoretically can qualify if your handicap is low enough. It's supposed to be open to all. I mean, that's basically the premise of the movie Tin Cup, right? And to take that and to essentially turn it into this closed-off affair, killing the atmosphere, is just... It's like a microcosm for so much of what I would say is wrong with... Our society today, it's just it, it's something that's supposed to be for the masses, that's supposed to be reachable. It's the, the U.S. Open's not supposed to be like the Masters. And they just they turned it into this semi private event. And I don't know why the U.S. Open, the USGA felt that they were so. They were so beholden to an event at LACC that they would allow for this to happen. I mean, with listen, without being in the room, without being there with the negotiations, who knows how it actually went down. But something like this, eh, eh, they can't have something like this happen again, although maybe it's good for the bottom line. I But I, I, I think it was just terrible for the reputation of the USGA to allow um, essentially a club to turn the turn the US open into a semi-private event for the members. That that's not cool. Um. Turning to the broadcast, you know what? If you want like a primer on Azinger, go look at what happened with Wyndham Clark on the ninth hole hitting that second shot where he's just like, oh, you know, there's no way he's going to get it close on that line. Oh, see, he hit it up there. It's not going to come back down. Nope, not going to get close. And the ball just rolls down this slope to about five feet. Meanwhile, Azinger is wrong like three times just three times during the same shot about what's going to happen. Listen, I'll give Azinger credit for one thing. I feel like he has heard the criticisms that all he does is talk about pressure and intestinal fortitude, and he's actually tried trying a little bit more to break down like the action of the shots. The problem is when he does that, he's just in—he's incorrect. So I—I I, I don't know what is so appealing about him that they feel that NBC feels this guy should be our, um, he should be our lead analyst. You know, we're, we're getting to the point where the main demographic that golf is trying to at, at, attract, you think, that Azinger's aging out of. I mean, he's not that much younger than Faldo, really, so I don't know. But, you know, what I think the problem really is with the NBC broadcast is that Look, it's not necessarily that the people in their roles are bad at their roles and can't adequately explain to you what's going on on the screen, what the deal is with the shot. It's just that if you looked at NBC when you had Johnny Miller and Gary Coke and Roger Maltby, th- there was this element to it where you felt like in addition to just having the action called for you, These were guys who enjoyed each other's company, enjoyed talking about golf. And there was this certain amount of chemistry and back and forth between all of them sort of, you know, each chipping in on what they thought was going to happen. And it it, it had this conversational element to it. That is completely gone now. It's just very much this point A to point B Describe the action and the chemistry is not there. So it's a, uh, it's not as enjoyable of an experience. I thought Dan Hicks had a terrible week. I mean, forgetting the whole Ricky Fowler thing where he's like, I've a lot of text message about Ricky Fowler as Andy touched upon. Did you hear him make the, uh, the quack about Charlie Woods and uh, the next time that they're going to have the U.S. Open there? He's like, yeah, well, well Charlie will probably win that by 12 strokes. Can we let Tiger Woods kid win a significant event at some point before we anoint him the next great golfer? See, that's the next grift in this Tiger Woods oh, media boy. thing is that they're going to <laughs> anoint his uh, son, the second coming of Jesus Christ himself, mm. and that he's going to break all the records and he's going to do this. And I don't know, maybe the kid will, but the, we we don't have enough to. We don't have enough to go there. I mean, when Tiger Woods broke on the scene, he won three straight U.S. junior amateurs and then three straight U.S. amateurs. It was insane. No one had ever seen that. And now because his kid has the same, you know, I I, I know I'm going uh, off point here, but I mean, come on. We don't need to talk about Charlie <laughs> Woods at the U.S. Open. There's plenty of storylines to be talked about. I, I so, Yeah. Not not a good week for him. <laughs> and you know what I was thinking during the Canadian Open last week, which is one of the, the, the great finishes I've ever seen in a non-major event, was how much worse would this be if we just had to listen to Azinger drone on and on about pressure during that whole playoff and how Nick Taylor's never won and Tommy Fleetwood has never won on U.S. soil and this and that just how bad that experience would have been Uh, fortunately we didn't have that we had Nance in the mix but uh yeah NBC look they're not going to do it because no one I don't think these guys really care about their broadcast they just care about what the bottom line is but it's not the same it has no chemistry and in an ideal world i think they would try to work on that
0: yeah 100 mike i do want to welcome our friend the rusty panda welcome to welcome to the sandwich show so good to see you, everybody thank you for the read um uh my, my name is david you know me as davey's eating a sandwich and uh the rusty panda is an awesome podcaster as well so good to see your panda how are you doing tonight folks in our chat please follow our friend the rusty panda so good to see you um and uh, so I'm a variety streamer based in Los Angeles. We we have had a lot of great conversations in the course of the you know two or so years we've been doing this show. But we've also uh, merged the sports show into the sandwich show. So this is called Sandwich Corner. And we are talking about the U.S. Open tonight. Um, I hope you're well. Thank you so much again, Panda, for the raid. How was your stream, by the way? I would love to hear more about it. Like, who did you have on? What was, was it a good conversation? Hope you're doing well. These are my guests tonight. We have Andy in Seattle on the upper left Corner, John in Connecticut in the, on the lower right, and Mike in North Jersey in the. I'm sorry, Mike and John in Connecticut in the lower left. Lower right would be uh, Mike in North Jersey. We've known each other for a very long time, like almost 15 years at this point, and we've covered golf for almost all of that time. And uh tonight, we've really, we're really covering golf at a very interesting time because golf, the, the PGA Tour, has merged with the Live Tour, which is run, uh, founded by uh, some folks in the Middle East. We're gonna get into more detail on that in a moment. But first, let's go to Andy. And Andy, I would love to hear your thoughts on all of these things: the telecast, the course, the hoity-toityness. Uh, you know, the thing about the LACC is that it seems consistent with like all one hundred, like, all two hundred years of their history. Because <laughs> it seems like this has just been like this forever. So then, the question is: Why is the USGA? Why is the USGA trying to make this work when it seems like these guys don't care? It's weird how secret this. This course is. I didn't even know it existed until like five years ago, and I've lived here for fifteen years. It's weird. So anyway, Andy, let's get give you for for all these scenarios.
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not smart enough to know like why USGA like picked that place, but I mean, I do I, I do remember Mike bringing up bringing it up in 2017 in, in the Walker Cup, and this course is shrouded in secrecy and very corporate the do's and the don'ts, no hat, sport coat, no cell phones, no celebrities, don't like it, go go play at Wilshire. go play at Bel Air, go play at Riviera. All, you know, all first world problems. I mean, whatever. Some rich people like to get rowdy. Some rich people like to be very buttoned up. You know, it's whatever. I'm never going to have to have that conundrum. Boo-hoo. Um, now, all that to say... Um, yeah, I mean, I, th- I think the um, regardless of where the course was, like if it was at some other upper crust location, with the, that was a, that was a travesty. You know, Mike hit it on the head. Uh, you know, you, the open. You, you want everyone to have an opportunity to like go there. You know, have a reasonable chance to get tickets. Have a reasonable, you know without having to pay an arm and a leg on the primary market, you know, secondary tertiary market, that's fair game. You know, last last year at the Country Club in Brookline, the secondary market was was crazy. Um I mean that that happens, you know, Taylor Taylor Swift concerts, you know, whatever. Um but um the fact that the the club and the members basically tried to yeah, inventory their way uh to cut off the common man is just it just you know i'm some people say i'm an ageist or i'm anti like snob i mean there's worse things to be oh you hate snobs what's wrong with you well you could hate other people and then you could tell me what's wrong with (laughs) me but you know like so i don't like i don't like snobs it could be a lot worse it could so yeah, just a terrible, terrible job by like by terrible people, and uh, but as Mike said, like they bottom line, they don't really care. So, and for us, we us plebeians watching it on TV, like, well, maybe we'll get a decent telecast, uh, maybe. So my takeaway on the telecast is, yeah. It's hard to believe. It feels like Azinger has replaced Johnny Miller for like 15 years when it's really only been like three. That's how like worn out his act has been. Um, It's like I wasn't the biggest Johnny Miller fan, but gosh, man, I would take him in a heartbeat like now uh, if that meant the end of Azinger. You also get the idea that uh, Hicks and azinger like they might not i don't think they have much to say when they're not doing the broadcast like it feels like their chemistry is off like almost like when mike and chris were having like awful arguments <laughs> Like you could just kind of tell through their shows when they were going through a rough patch like it just doesn't seem like there it's not it's not faldo nance it's not it's not even fault it's not even nance sims it's not nance romo it's not nance immelman it's not miller and his partners you know mike made a great point there was you got a sense of community slash camaraderie with the older guys that are no longer with nbc um so yeah like maybe they need to you know refurbish their you know the x's and o's of their broadcast and the last thing i'll say about the broadcast is The playing through segment, you know, I know you only get like 30% window of the golf and then the commercials like 70% of the screen, but like you actually get a lot more golf during those playing through segments than the actual telecast, which is annoying because when you're, when you go through a playing through segment, you get like, you can see like six shots in those like, you know, 122nd segments you know, rapid fire, whereas like the non-playing through segments it's just it's a little more plotting and stuff. But yeah, NBC's had much better weekends. Much better weekends.
0: Indeed they have. It's it's kind of an interesting study in the new generation of broadcasters that both NBC and CBS have right now. And slowly, bit by bit, like it's evolved a lot. And um in the case of NBC definitely not for the better you know, even only five years ago, you had guys like David Faraday in the mix. You had uh, you had Johnny Miller. You mentioned that um, is Co- David is Coke still in the mix. I am. I'm sorry. I, I'm out of the loop on that. He's out, too, dude. Yeah, there you go. So, um, all right. Well, thank you, everybody, for your comprehensive look breakdown of the, the this event. Again, there was a lot. I think of- John has to go. Oh, did John not do his thing? Oh yeah, John, let's give it okay, John. Let's give it to you as well. Yeah, you're right. Uh, I'd love to get your thoughts on Thank all these scenarios. Yeah, thanks for picking me up on that. Yeah. I wanted to make Yeah, it. no, I
1: don't have anything much to add about the whole you know, uh club buying t- tickets and all that. We kinda rehashed that. Mm-hmm. I mean, just to... Uh, like again, like why did you even have it there? It has to be financially driven from both parties for um, you know, for, for this to happen and for them to buy all those tickets and whatnot. Just just hope it doesn't happen again, but we'll see. But yeah, the broadcast, like I could not agree more. It was like it was even worse than usual, and I think the reason for that is like in the past NBC would have some other announcers besides Azinger that would kind of like I wouldn't say carry the broadcast that would make it, uh, you know, um, palatable to watch. Like Derek Coke, and they would have um even Peter Jacobson or or Ferry Like they kind of brought like some personality to the broadcast. Like these guys, they got in there now. Like, they're just boring. Like, Brad Faxon and uh, Kirk Byram, he's fine for, like, the Golf Channel Thursday, Friday. Like, why did they pull him to NBC? Like, it just doesn't make any sense. I think Smiley Coffin only got his job because he knows, like, Jordan Spieth and Ricky Fowler and all those guys. Like, he doesn't really add much of anything. Um, The best guy they have, and not because he shares my name, is the caddy they have on there, um, uh, John Wood, that he, that he, he gets some really good insight on the course. Like, that guy is tremendous. But everybody else is just is just hit or miss. And I think, you know, losing that second level of broadcaster definitely has is, is really hurt the broadcast between Faxon and Kurt Byron and all these new guys that they brought in. It. It's just not meshing well. And you guys point to the chemistry. Like CBS, like every other, you know, comment on CBS, like you have Nabilo, like joking with Baker Finch, who's taking a shot at Colt Nost. And like they're all going back and forth with each other. And even Immelman's getting in on it. I never thought I'd say this, but like Immelman is – He's not bad. Like he's a hundred times better than the Azinger, like maybe a thousand times better. And this is like his first year doing it. It's like a full time. Well, he's been do. he's been in the broadcast like as the main analyst, like it's just, it's, it's, it's really incredible. Like the difference between the two, but yeah, NBC, like there's just, there's just no chemistry or anything with the guys in the booth. And um, you know, what else can you say about Azinger? It's just, he doesn't, I don't think he does any research. He just, says whatever comes to his mind and it's like wrong 99% of the time it's I don't know. I don't know what they're going to do. I don't, they don't have enough of like a big schedule of events that they would, you know, they have their five or six tournaments in March and then they have the two majors and that's it. Um, and they do the Fed, the, the FedEx cup, they alternate between CBS and NBC, but, I don't know if it's if it's really worth their time to try to find somebody else. Like I don't know who would want to do it, who would be available. I mean shit the the couple times that John Rom came on for 20 minutes, he's better than Azinger has been in years that he was, you know, been doing this. So there's there's clearly got to be somebody out there to to be better than um <laughs> Azinger. So we'll see, but yeah, not an encouraging week for NBC and we get them again next month uh, for the British Open, unfortunately. Mm. Like can't they just bring Faldo back for the two majors? Like, pay him twice a year, NDC, Seriously.
0: <laughs> yep, I mean it's that you're definitely feeling his absence right now, uh, John. Um, so I guess I think so. We will have we, we should definitely discuss the merger, and we're gonna. Um, but maybe we'll take a, just take a, take a moment just to look ahead a little bit. Uh, so, John, I'll stay with you for a sec for a bit. Because I'd love to get your thoughts on the Travelers, which, again, is always a great event. So uh, let's hear your thoughts on, on that coming up.
1: Yeah. What, what a tournament this year. Um, we, we talked about this on a previous podcast, but if you're listening for the first time, so the PGA, in order to you know compete with live golf, I guess you could say, in terms of like the money uh, and curses available, um, they or they've designated certain events to be like an elevated status where they're offering a huge prize pool and all the top players in the, um, in the game or on the PGA tour have to play. So the travelers is the last one of these quote unquote designated events. Um, The majors are, so obviously the British open will be in the, in the FedEx cup, but you have to qualify for that. But like in terms of like actual, just normal tournaments, the travelers is the last one of this. So you have the, like the entire PGA tour is playing this week, except for like, I think Jordan Spieth isn't playing, Tyrrell Hatton's not playing, and then one other guy that's like eligible is not playing. So basically the entire – like all the guys that you saw last week at the U.S. Open minus the live guys and those two that I just mentioned are playing this week um, just right down the road from my house. So it's going to be an exciting tournament to be at. Um, unfortunately, the weather looks absolutely miserable. All four days, it's just you can't find a spot on the hour forecast that's like not under 40% chance of rain. So I don't know what they're going to do. Just Hopefully, it's not thunderstorms and it'll just be a miserable experience for, for you know whoever's going. Um, but which is me, but uh, we have um, I got a club seat scenario, so even if it gets a little wet, I can head in there, um, and, and watch some golf. But I definitely wanted to like watch the course, like some of these groups they have, like Rahm and Scheffler are playing together, a uh, Hovland and McElroy are playing together. Like, I really want to be on the course, like watching these guys, but. I will see. I'll probably just bear it and you know get soaked. I mean, with the you know just just water, but, um, yeah, the course like literally anybody can win because it's a short course. You need to focus on like your obviously approach play is huge. Winning scores usually pretty low, although the rough here is pretty thick. I will say if you get off the off the fairway, there's some thick rough, so you want to keep your ball in the fairway. Um, and then obviously, if there's some wind that comes up, it can be tricky. Uh, I remember in the past, like 12 or 13 under has won, which is really an, isn't that low. And then other years, you have like a 18, 19 under. I mean, Jim Furyk has the, had the lowest score in the history of the tour here with a 58. So you get a very wide variety of, variety of scores, and basically anybody can win because it's a short course. So you can like kind of plod your way around with irons and putting, or you can just kind of be like a bomber and just just kind of blow your driver down on a lot of these holes and just kind of put it to the, um, you know, put your wedge shots in from there. So uh, it's always an exciting finish uh, with the the holes wrapped around the lake, 15, 16, 17. And it seems there's to be a playoff almost every year. Um, you know, Harris English and uh, Kramer Hickok had a eight hole playoff a couple of years ago. If you guys remember that, that was just wild. I don't think you've heard of Kramer Hickok since. So that's my point. Like literally anybody uh, can contend at this tournament. So uh, my bets that I made, uh, I'm kind of going with, like, fading the t- top of the board because, you know, the week after the major, like, it's just really draining for a lot of these guys, especially the ones that are in contention, or just playing that type of course, I think, is 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 tough. Even though, as we discussed, it's a little easier than usual. Just everything involved in, in playing a U.S. Open and then all the travel to Connecticut, I just think you might not see the best from some of the, the best players. So, and plus, I usually don't like betting under, like, 15 to one anyway so I'll I'll stick with some of the longer um odds so I bet Tom Kim at 30 to one he had a great finish at the U.S. Open and this should be a really good course for him um I bet uh my long shot Austin Ekro he's been playing really well and uh, he had a top 10 at the U.S. Open as well his approach game is on fire and he had um he was like a hundred to one, so that was a bet that I like. And then I also mm-hmm. bet Denny McCarthy, just on the premise of that this is a tournament historically where guys kind of break out for their first win, and he's been very close lately. He obviously he lost in the playoff to Victor Hovland, and his um again he's kind of like Wyndham Clark, and he's been just typically known for being a really good putter, but now his like iron game has come around. So if he brings that to the Travelers, I think he's definitely live for this event. So those are the three bets I made. Uh, Tom Kim. Denny McCarthy and Austin Eckroat, So, it um, should be a fun tournament. And um, I'm also, I want to see the uh, young Swedish golfer Ludwig Aberg. We, I think we believe we mentioned him in our Twitter threads or text conversations. Like, he just turned pro from Texas Tech. Like, he's getting sponsor exemptions for the rest of the year. This guy's going to be a really good player. So, I want to check him out before he's like, you know, he'll be like John Rahm in like five years. So, I'm um, definitely going to watch him. So, yeah gonna be a fun time and i'm um, fingers crossed that we can get four rounds of golf in so that's my travelers championship preview
0: well have a great time john and i do hope the same i hope that that those four rounds go uh, are, are go go as planned now you mentioned fading the top of the leaderboard so are you speaking of who's like heavily favored in the tournament basically yes yeah.
1: i mean i'm not saying that they can't win like Scheffler or Rahm or what all any of those guys, McElroy could go out and like blitz the course. It's just, I feel like the week after a major and especially oh, yeah. at this course, yep. you, you really don't usually you just go back to the list of winners at this tournament. Like you're not seeing those kind of names winning. You're seeing like bubble Watson three times. You're seeing Harris English. You're seeing Ches Revi. Like you're not seeing like these high end players. Like they can play well, like Scotty Scheffler, like top 10. Sure. Bet it. Like, I'm not going to tell you not to do it. It's just, I'm not going to really pick those guys to to win the tournament, Um, so that's just kind of how I feel about it. I I don't know how you guys feel, but that's my.
0: I think it's great strategy. Yeah, I just wanted to make sure. I just wanted to clarify like what you meant, what you're referring to like people who were big, were making the leaderboard last week, which I think makes so much sense. Like I completely agree with your idea. Um, One one guy I want to keep an eye on though for this tournament because I've been following for the last like month. Like Minwoo Lee, he's got. He's got some game. I'm curious to see how he does in this tournament. He's five to one to win, or f- plus five thousand. I guess that would be what? Would that be five to one? Can't really think of that. That right? Oh no, that might be like fifty to one. That's
1: fifty to one, Dave. Not one. five to
0: one. Yeah, fifty-one. Okay, okay, fifty-one. So yeah,
1: I mean, you know,
0: completely out of the question. It'd be interesting to see. Maybe if you make Mike a run of it, we'll see. Um, Mike, uh, let's get your look at the road ahead, and we can include that the travelers, and and then you know they open and any other events in the in the near future mike i'll give you the floor
3: god i was muted there you know i used to be so used to the zoom stuff and uh, i'm not on it much anymore <laughs> oh, I <got> but you. <laughs> um yeah john covered the travelers uh, pretty well so um, i'll let that rest uh after the travelers though we we, we really hit this dearth of the pga tour schedule you have the Rocket Mortgage Classic in Detroit, which is always nothing. Uh, then you have the John Deere Classic, which is means the world to the Zach Johnsons of the world. Fortunately, the Zach Johnsons of the world are irrelevant to me, so it means nothing to me. Um, but listen, I guess if you, if you find yourself in the Quad Cities, I'll recommend uh, to go to it. But I don't know why you're going to find yourself in the Quad Cities uh, in a couple <laughs> weeks. So... Uh, No, yeah, we're really in this, you know, there's so many of these designated events early on, uh, but even before the whole designated event um, thing happened just for this year and who knows what's going to happen next year, which I guess is our next topic. Um, Yeah, the the, the dog days of the summer are always the weak point of the schedule outside of the uh, British Open, which will be at – and, you know, they do have the Scott. The Scottish Open is technically a PGA Tour event now. So that's at the uh, Renaissance Club. Um, so you'll have the Scottish Open. You have the British Open. British Open's at uh, Royal Liverpool, which is also colloquially known as Hoylake. Rory McIlroy won uh, last time it was there. So we'll see what happens with that. Um, but, yeah, after this week, you- you're going to have a couple weeks where it's just, you know what, uh Maybe tune into baseball, see the Mets pitching staff collapse. See if uh, watch the Yankee games, and then monitor social media afterwards to see if uh, there are calls to clean house. Because um, it's not going to be very much uh, with the golf a- after this week. Going to be a couple. Uh, listen, those are probably going to be with the whole designated event thing this year. Those are going to be borderline corn f- uh, fairy tour events. So it is what it is.
0: Well, I appreciate that, Mike. I appreciate the honesty, too. And this, we are definitely segueing very hard into the next topic. So let's just give it to Andy first for any quick hitters on uh, the upcoming schedule. Um, anything else you want to add, Andy, before we get into the big elephant in the room?
2: Yeah, I mean, yeah, with the Connecticut uh, tournament, I, I love the event. Um, John mentioned there; it's a great blend of, like, The star power has been there for a handful of years now. And then you're always, you know, Xander won it last year. Um, But then it's right. You're going to get like a Kevin Strelman 59. You're going to get a uh, Bubba Watson situation. You're going to get Ches V. You know, I always, I don't have the stats in front of me, but I would put this event like, if there's like a a stat like playoff probability i feel like this tournament like would be up there you know i I feel like this event is a playoff like every other year or every other 3 years they go to a playoff and um the winner like even if it's a not a playoff year the winner is winning by one or two strokes it's not you know no one ever runs away with the event which makes it for good TV. Um, so, yeah, I actually, in my one-and-done league, I th- for the elevated events, you pick two, and I had Siwoo Kim and Tom Kim, but uh, I was looking at McCarthy, and after John's rundown, I might change it to McCarthy, and I might sprinkle a couple units on a uh, top 10 situation for Denny McCarthy, so... I, I appreciate I appreciate that I, I like getting some uh valuable research that I would never have done on my own but uh McCarthy's McCarthy's staring at me right now right there so I uh, <laughs> might have to uh, re- revise my picks um so with that being said yeah the I don't have any thoughts on the open obviously it's too early um and yeah with with respect to What's coming up the pipeline? You know, Rocket Mortgage, fucking John Deere. I don't know, like Barbasol. Some Wyndham's not bad anymore because Wyndham, like everyone that is flirting with top 125, will be there. Like Nance does the event, but uh, I have. Uh, I'm assuming Sung JM is going to be playing either Rocket Mortgage or John Deere, if not both. And uh, I have saved Sungjae in in my one-and-done league for uh, those events because you got to pick someone. And uh, Sungjae has an affinity for playing basically every event under the sun. So I'm saving (laughs) – I'm hoping he's in the field in the next couple weeks um, for those events. But, yeah, um, it's perfect weather for, like, actually playing golf right now, but the events do get a little diluted. I mean – Every you're gonna have some lulls here and there, and this has always been one of them.
1: Yeah, I do think your movie yeah, is now yet because he's gonna play. Um, he's gonna play Rocket Mortgage because he won last year. I use yeah, I used Fino in the Mexico. Okay, so that worked. That worked out then. So that worked yeah. out anyway. Yeah. Nice,
2: nice.
0: Uh, congrats on that too. I mean, yeah, that, that does good. That's a good spot. All right, so. Let's do this. So, you know, during my vacation to Palm Springs with family where they announced that Liv merged with the PGA Tour. And I have so much to say about this. Um, but I feel like you all will say these things better than I will. So I'm just going to give you the floor and get your thoughts on this and what it means for golf. What it means for fuck, like <laughs> North America for, for the United States. I mean, geez. Um, Mike, I'll give it to you first.
3: You know, as we've discussed live over the last year, I've usually added this one caveat to any one of my comments about it, which was it's not a pure economic venture. And as a result, it would was going to be very hard to ultimately analyze, even if we thought it wasn't necessarily doing well or if it stalled out. Because this was a government, because there are geopolitical goals behind it, um, we don't know, we we weren't sure what the losses were going to, what type of losses the, uh, the Saudis were willing to incur in order to push the envelope to where they wanted it. So... A few things happened here, Um, and I will say before I get into that, it was funny. I was actually sitting in an appellate courtroom watching proceedings when I got the text message. John's like, "Uh, the PGA tour and live merged. What? So, uh, yeah, instead of paying attention to the cases, I'm on my phone uh, on Twitter in the courtroom trying to like hide it below the bench. So the judges can't see me what I'm doing. I I probably shouldn't be talking about this, but you know, whatever, they're not going to fire me at this point in the clerkship. So regardless, uh, anyway, but getting back on point, you you had a a few things going on here. One was that I think it became apparent that the Saudis were, they were going to do what they needed to do to gain a stake in the world of professional golf. Uh, even if live wasn't necessarily going to be the ultimate vehicle to do that live was sort of the way to at least initially stake their claim and it became apparent that they weren't just going to be like, well, you know what we're losing money on this and it's not sustainable so we're out. They decided we don't care. what's your number on this and I th- I think um one of the things that we saw that sort of gave evidence towards this is, Listen, I know nothing about uh soccer or football as it's called around the world, but I do know that the Saudis have signed a number of very high-profile players for outrageous sums of money and that they've really invested themselves in the English Premier League. I'm seeing stuff where they're complaining that the entities are essentially involved with multiple teams and some stuff really isn't on the level because it's really, you know, the, the same underlying powers controlling multiple teams and making transactions but that being said it shows you how much money they're willing to sink into sports and to be a player in the international sports scene so i think that became apparent to the pga tour and then the other thing which i think i alluded to in our uh, group text was that and i think this was admitted that or at least it leaked out was that Ultimately, the PGA Tour's financial structure, in order to try to compete with this, was not sustainable. Uh, the sponsors weren't just going to keep doling out this money, and they weren't going to keep dipping into their reserves, and they didn't want to keep paying the legal bills to fight this matter. So that's where we are. Um, l- listen, this is going to this is going to change golf as we know it. It is never going to be structured the same way again starting in a few years. I don't believe, I don't think the Saudis are going to pay what they're going to pay in order to essentially bolster the PGA Tour, have an ownership in it, and maybe have a, a stronger international series in the off season. No, they're, they're going to revamp the way it works. Um, I, I don't see how otherwise I mean, it's how otherwise that would make sense for them. Now, listen, that being said, I don't want to hastily jump to any conclusions about what's actually going to happen here because there's so much that has not been announced that we're really, it's just, there's so many different directions in terms of what the actual, what actually legally is going on. Is it a merger? Is it a hostile takeover? which company is actually surviving as the parent company. Who knows? I mean, what they said with some of this framework is that um, the the head of PIF is the chairman. Monaghan is the CEO um, that you saw one thing that the PGA tour would have the majority of seats on the board. But then the thing that really stuck out to me was that, The PIF would be the sole investor in the PGA Tour to start off. And importantly, that they would have the right of first refusal, which means that they they could stop anyone else from investing into it, which tells me okay, if they're controlling the money here, then you would think they would control, uh, they would ultimately be in control of the Tour. But I don't know. What do they value their assets as, as how much they're buying in versus how much the PGA Tour can say we're worth and what percentage does that gain them? We don't know. So all we really have here is this idea that, hey, we've agreed to we're going to work together in the future. And here's some basic framework. Look, the Department of Justice already said they're opening up an antitrust investigation. Monahan's going to get uh Hauled before Congress, although apparently he had some acute medical emergency, maybe a, a case of a yeah. suspicious poison. You know, I, I, I shouldn't joke very about convenient. that, but yeah. it was very convenient that a guy who's a terrible public speaker is all of a sudden like, I'm ill, I can't talk to anyone, uh, have a nice life. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. It just, I mean, it was shocking when it happened, but when you like look back at everything, it's almost like, well, wasn't this where we were going ultimately when you take a step back maybe, but look, like I said, I expect everything's going to change the fundamental structure of how the highest level of men's professional golf is going to change. Um, But we don't know in exactly what direction it's going to go initially because there's so much about this merger. That's unknown. Now, I will say one thing here, if we're going to give a hot take. Why are the governing bodies here, the major championship governing bodies, with the exception of the USGA, which gave a somewhat lukewarm statement, being like, we're glad, we're glad that the division is over here, and we don't want to see this anymore. Guys, wake up and smell the coffee here. Do you think the Saudis are going to sit back and not want to grab a piece of the financial pie that you have think about it the four biggest events of the year are not controlled by this new combined entity those four entities are those four events are worth such a disproportionate share of the available revenue in golf you're telling me that they're now with this backing of a government that is looking to make itself a player on the world stage or give themselves even an, an even bigger role is not going to come for that at some point like that they wouldn't put an event on opposite the masters and say hey the winner gets 50 million dollars that's going to happen and i don't understand why th- maybe they just they can't envision it happening they're going to try to break the majors if this whole thing actually does come together it'll probably start with the pga championship It'll be a lot harder, I think, to break the other three, at least initially. But I was surprised to see that because that was my first thought is the, the PGA of America, the RNA and the USGA and August National. They must realize that they get a disproportionate share of the revenue from professional golf based on how often they're actually involved. And why wouldn't this company jump in and try to take it? So. Like I said, we have more questions than answers, really, at this point. But uh, a lot of things are going to change, and I think some people that are watching who have a vested interest in this, uh, they may want to take a closer look at and reevaluate where they think things are going to go because it may not work out very well for them.
0: That's fantastic analysis, Mike. Honestly, it's it is so hard to put to make sense of all this, and uh, it means a lot that you could that you could share your insights on this matter. I mean, you've known golf for a long time you're very well versed in in the the mechanics behind professional golf and that means a lot that you break that down for us like it's it's really great to to hear that and as you said like even at that what have we learned we don't there's still a lot of questions to be answered you're absolutely right about that too it's a disturbing moment for me personally um as a fan of golf it's like i don't i don't know what to do with this like I don't want to support something that's backed by Saudi Arabian government. Sorry. But so, you know what I mean? Like it's, I know maybe not everyone, the people, not everyone is quite as strong about that kind of opinion. But, and as you were saying, Mike, they're they're already tying their hands in other sports too. So it's like, is this just going to be an inevitable outcome for all sports? I don't know. I mean, money is what it is. I'm going to stop talking. I'm going to give it to John. Let's get your thoughts on this matter. Uh, what, are you, what is your what is your feel for this entire matter, and where do you think golf goes from here as well?
1: Yeah, Just wait until like a, a group of those investors like want to buy an NFL team. Like you know, it's gonna it's gonna happen. <laughs> you know, when the NFL expands to Europe or wherever the hell they're going to be going to get some more teams in. Like that's gonna happen. So, um, or we have not heard. Golf is not the only avenue for these folks, um, but. Yeah, I mean, it was really honestly shocking, like because no one saw it coming, and like literally none of the players saw it coming. That was the whole thing, you know, that Monahan did this behind everyone's back with that other attorney. I think his name is Dunn, um, and then the the folks from from PIF, and they had they put together this framework, and you know, you kind of left people like Rory McIlroy, who was, you know, as Mike said, like Monahan's just a horrible public speaker. Instead, he's sending. a McIlroy McElroy and other players to talk about how loyal they are and how you know the PGA tours were were the game, you know, the highest level of professional golf. Like why wouldn't we want to stay here? Where, you know, and then we're we're merging with this this league a year later where, you know, McElroy and Rom and those guys could have gotten hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars. Um so they gotta feel pretty stupid. Uh, not stupid, but like played at this point for not taking the money. Um and I guess now that they're gonna be compensated by having an equity in this new venture because um, it's going to be a for-profit entity, which is an interesting concept for sure. And somehow the PGA Tour is going to keep its nonprofit status, which let's face it, is a joke to begin with that, you know, that's all like tax codes and everything else that make themselves a nonprofit, but like they're they're not a nonprofit company. Um, you know, Monaghan makes, you know, millions upon millions of dollars. Yeah, his salary just went up tenfold probably with this deal. But um, yeah, just the whole way it went down was just obviously really shady. I, I do agree that the, the tour probably saw the writing on the wall or not the tour Monaghan saw the writing on the wall, that they just couldn't keep spending all this money, both in the purses that would be required to keep up these, you know, quote elevated events year after year after year. And also with the legal um situation. So yeah, it makes sense from that standpoint, but like they didn't have to merge with these guys. Like that's that's the one thing that gets me. They could have let it play out for a little bit. Like, I don't know. I, I I think it was maybe a quick rush to 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 end the situation. But hey, money talks in the end, and and that's kind of kind of where we're at. I I just love the comments from Monahan and you know in the, the statement he's like, oh yeah, Live is a groundbreaking organization and league, and we're you know we're so happy to be partnering with them. And like a year ago, he was talking about like the 911 families, like you know why we you know we should protest this this league and it's just it's just kind of sickening honestly from from his perspective like from from him, for his actions i mean you know i love watching and playing golf and you know we talk about golf and wager on golf so i mean what i'm you know i i'd like to make like a righteous stand but like what am i going to do like i don't want to like stop watching golf because of of this so it is what it is. Like we all make our own choices in in that regards. And I wouldn't, Dave, you said, I'm not going to watch golf anymore. Like I wouldn't say, Oh man, that's stupid. Like you do, you you do what you do. Like we all have our own um, personal thoughts and feelings on, on this kind of thing. But um, you know, in terms of where things are going, like who knows like what this is going to look like is, is there going to be a whole new schedule revealed for next year? Like they're already working on, you know, a, a schedule with dates, like, because of this whole elevated event situation. Well, now is, is live being incorporated into this next year? Like, are there, is every PGA tour player being on a team? Like, are we going to have a team of like, you know, uh, Jason Duffner and uh, you know, um, so, so, like the, the, some of the four worst players on tour at this point, like, is that going to be a team? Like, it's just, there's like so many questions that need to be answered at this point. And yeah. um, you know, honestly, the only, Constant at the moment is the four majors are still there, but I I kind of am seeing Mike's hot take. Like, yeah, they're going to play a tournament opposite of the masters where the winner gets a hundred million dollars. Like you don't think, you know, 30 guys are going to show up to that. Like, or more than that. I mean, I don't know. Like that's pretty tempting to me. We'll, we'll see what happens, but I can definitely see a scenario like that playing out. Um, But for now, the only constant in golf is going to be the four major championships. And, We'll see what the chips fall with with this other stuff. I mean, I don't know how they're gonna. They, I mean, they the tour released their fall schedule. I don't know if that's still happening right after the FedEx Cup, or if they're gonna redesign it. I had we have no idea. I, so it's just all gonna be a waiting game at this point to see to see what happens, how this all all shakes out.
0: Yeah, I mean, I appreciate that. I mean, I appreciate your 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 thoughts too, um, John. Yeah, it's now. I think the interesting thing is with the majors, as you mentioned, they're they're all, m- almost all of them. I, the PGA is interesting because it's from the PGA of America. Not exactly the PGA Tour, but I assume the PGA Tour is a function of that, so that's going to be an interesting decision for me come May. But I don't want to be the the boycott guy, but I definitely feel like... Since these are all different events by different organizations, certainly the Open coming up, like that's the RNA, so that's a whole different ball game together, altogether. So I, I think that's gonna be fine. I'm not gonna stop covering these events, but I just mean my personal investment in them emotionally is gonna be very, very different going forward, as a result of this, and and it just worries me that the rest of sports is gonna be affected the same way. Like you said, like this could absolutely happen to an NFL team. Money is money, and it's like at some point you have to just say, you know at this. Is is it worth it anymore? I don't know. I mean, listen, I I gotta still suss this up for myself. So I'm gonna turn to Andy, who I have often cited as the voice of reason. Andy, I'd love to get your thoughts on this as well. I I would. No, appreciate-
2: well, I I wouldn't say I'm the voice of reason, not at all. But I will say, I will say, you know, I will say, old baby was completely wrong about the live. I mean, I know we could break it down. No one watched it. The ratings were atrocious. No one went to the event, but they were a fucking disruptor from day one. Uh, they moved the needle in quite a drastic direction a month ago. They are not good people, obviously. Um, you know, we say as the joke, follow the money, follow the money. Why do we say the joke? Because people literally follow the money, whether... It's networks, whether it's corporations, whether it's people leaving one job for another, whether it's Dustin Johnson basically saying on Netflix, uh, they are paying me more money to do less of what I do well. It just happens. Like in uh, Monahan, I agree with, like Monahan is a complete fraud, liar, thief, clown, all the adjectives. Um, he definitely left, uh, now we said last year or last, whenever this all started, we yeah, had probably last year, like we, this little corner, like we knew like Justin Thomas and Rory were basically tasked with being Monaghan's puppets, um, and being like staunch defenders of the tour. Tiger, obviously the staunch defender of a tour. Um, but a lot of their contemporaries did what what they thought was best. And and now we're gonna have this like we don't we have the the fascinating thing about all this is that yeah, we have no idea what's gonna happen next year. Like Greg Norman's like, we're gonna have the regular schedule. And then other people are like, Greg Norman, like he might be like detained, locked up in, like, beaten, like, in Saudi Arabia next year. So I'll we like, Greg Norman's going to be, like, the face of this new entity. Who knows? Like, who knows where Greg Norman's going to be in 2024? Who knows what, where, like, Nance? I, I don't know. It's it's really going to be interesting. You know, what John mentions, like, the schedule, I, no clue. No clue. What Are the PGA guys going to be wearing shorts? Are there going to be, like, uh, atmospheric, like, ambiance, uh, pitbull you know in between shots like there are uh in all the live events i have no idea no one has any idea we're just gonna we're gonna get the information piecemeal as it comes um now you know personal feelings aside um morality issues aside uh i am such a degenerate like I like watching golf. I like watching the best players compete against each other. So if we're going to see more Cam Smith, if we're going to see more like Jack O'Neiman. We're going to see more like Kepka. are going to see more, you know, a focus. DJ's, you know, he's always glazed look. But uh, if we're going to see more, you know, Abraham answer, um, you know, Matthew Wolf, I don't think we'll ever see again. But, uh you know, some of these live guys gonna you know they're gonna be on TV more often, I would assume. Now with I'm all right with less team events, um, because I think that the whole team event thing was obviously like a fucking gimmick. Um, uh, you know, Bubba Watson being like, Yeah, my son my son loves the Lakers, he loves the Yankees. So yeah, we we're, like the goat ranchers. Are, <laughs> it's a real cool concept for golf. We're going to try to be a brand that's just as known as like the Yankees. I don't think so, Bubba, but you know, keep spewing that bullshit. We're all buying that with a fork and a spoon. But um yeah, Dave, it's it's going to it's going to it's going to be interesting how everything pans out from a from a schedule standpoint i mean even without um even without live like just how like the wgc events were disintegrating you know the dell match play was gone uh they they haven't yeah they used to go to china hbc shanghai like they haven't done that in forever um so yeah things were obviously changing a lot of people we're saying, like, lived like, just expedited the PGA, like, giving more money to players. But as Mike said, like, it was really, like, this um, – I'm not smart enough to describe it, but not dog eat dog, not snake eating its own tail, but um, they, like, Liv did what Liv did, and the PGA reacted – maybe rashly by rashly by having all these like higher elevated larger purses and it's not sustainable right you, you can promise oh the the prize pool is just gonna we're gonna triple the prize pool we're gonna have uh more of remember next year they're supposed to have more events without cuts right like what happened to that plan? Like what, or what is going to happen to that plan? But that whole idea of having no cuts, more events with no cuts was to ensure top fields committing to the weekend. So the sponsors that are paying boatloads of cash can be assured that they're going to get four days of, you know, Jordan Spieth or whomever the top players are. Right. But I'm sure they have like forensic accountants, financial analysts like, Hmm. Uh, we're gonna, we're gonna like go belly up at this point sooner than later because the money's gonna dry out. Um, so what do you do when you need more money? You need to seek out rich people with more liquid availability than you have. And who's more liquid than PIF at this point, right? I, I mean, I don't know. Maybe there are people. Again, I'm not smart enough. But I don't watch. You know, I watch Succession, but I'm not, you know, I'm not the the adult in the room. So, uh, yeah, they are in bed with, you know, rich, bad people. And um, the other hot take that I got was like, now PIF has control of like the PGA pension, right? Like, that's a lot of money in the pension. So what are they going to, they're going to invest like the pension fund, right? Like, I don't know. So. A lot, of, a lot of moving parts where uh, a lot smarter people than me can maybe like connect the dots. I can't connect the dots. I'm just going to try to process the information as it comes. And uh, hopefully, you know, in the next two years, like the golf that we watch on TV will be, you know, at the end of the day, just normal golf. Um you know, <laughs> who knows? Are we going to have majors in, like, the Middle East? Maybe. Like, are we going to have, like, a major in, like, in February? Somewhere, you know, parts unknown? Who knows? We could. We could. Like, last year, did you all think that that Monaghan would be having, uh, you know, breaking bread with, you know, the bad guys? Absolutely not. But here we are.
0: Here we are and um, here we are indeed Annie I mean again I I don't have anything to add to this like it's it, it's a lot I'm gonna admit it's a lot right now just just thinking about being a you know I, we've been a sportscast podcast for a long time and now we're just a we're a podcast and we're trying to make sense of this y'all do not verbally in that area um yeah we'll see what happens I mean as far as the golf aspect of it I'm sure though it mean, probably will be fine I mean you know as you mentioned some of the folks will be coming back so there is that. So thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, I agree
2: with John. One last thing of what John mm-hmm. said, but I the NFL like yeah. I think it's a matter of when not if.
0: Absolutely. That's a, such a good point John. Like there's no question in my mind there would be some version of that coming. You're absolutely right. Yeah.
1: Okay. Let's give yeah, it a to- talking about like you know down the road they're going to have like a like a European division in the in the NFL, like you'll have, you'll have London and you'll have Germany, and, you know, whatever else market they're trying to get into. And we first to jump on that. So, um, just a matter of.
0: Yeah. I mean, this all would be, it would be reasonable, would be like tolerable, if we did know that the Saudi Arabians are out or well known, not even like even like a cloud of secrecy over this, like for being absolutely terrible humanitarian people. Terrible. It's just it's just no getting around that. None. And so I have a hugely difficult issue with that. So with that said, I think we can wrap the book on that for now. Obviously. You know, it is what it is. Well as you mentioned, Andy, like we don't know the entirety of this yet. And Mike mentioned that too. So we will continue to cover Golf as much as we can um, in the next few months and, and see what happens. So, I'll give it to you for final thoughts. Uh, Mike, I'll go to you first.
3: You know, we've all been doing this for a, a long time now, and um, there's just this this different feeling that um, you know pervades over the show tonight. Um, uh, look, little things have changed along the way who has been at the top of the game has changed, obviously. Uh, you know, when we started off, Tiger Woods was still relatively young, and a lot of the debate was, you know, can they stop acting like he's prime Tiger Woods every time he shoots a good round? Now he's basically done as a competitive player. We saw Rory McElroy, you know, come along and look like he might be the next great player, and but then now it's been nine years of disappointment with the last and, uh, Probably not as hurtful as the open championship, but, um, one of the more, uh, hurtful, um, disappointments along the way, um, that we're covering here tonight. But, you know, things like that happen, uh, with golf players comes in and all sports, really players come and go, um, style of play changes. There's advanced advancements in technology. That's not, it's not a unique thing to golf, but where sitting here on the precipice of something that none of us here have ever experienced some of our parents may have a little bit with the you know the NFL uh, the AFL NFL merger being a thing but you know ultimately all that did was like doubled the size of a existing league when you really think about it uh and gave us the super bowl but we're looking at something where the premier level of golf which has always been primarily based in the united states with uh, a couple events here and there outside it seems like that's all about to change that what will be going on here week in week out will almost be secondary and there will be this this global tour of golf which will have most of its stops here but it will still have a lot of international flavor and it's something that all of us here are big sports fans, you know, um, all of of us here have a certain uh, inclination to make some wagers when we so think we're smarter than Las Vegas, but this is all, this is all uncharted territory for us. And it's when you get into situations like that, it's hard to know how to react. Um, So it's a strange feeling. Um, It's one that I'm feeling now. Um, I don't know. Will it in the end, will it still be golf? Probably for the most part, but you know, we're in this era where everyone seems to think that they can outsmart themselves and they can add a wrinkle or two to something and they just end up screwing things up. You know, I, I just, listen, you want to make a whole bunch of teams and not really change up the format of the actual golf tournament. You know what, go for it. Who cares? Um, But I I hope we don't see a main tour of 54 whole events with, you know, that that's just it wouldn't be the same, but maybe they'll say, hey, we make more money that way. I don't know. I hope not. So the whole thing with Saudi Arabia, you know, I didn't even want to get into that uh, tonight because, you know what, the whole world has allowed Saudi Arabia to invest in their businesses and become intertwined with them that I almost think the ball has rolled so far on that that what's the point unless there's a massive shift diplomatic diplomatically and among the global stage which is really that that that's a subject not you know not for what we're trying to do here so who knows but um yeah we're at the precipice of a major shakeup, something like we've never seen and uh yeah i i do share though the sentiment that we've kind of he- uh heard which is yeah you know what hopefully when all the dust settles. We still have, you know, golf week in, week out that we can tune into, regardless of who necessarily sponsors it or what it's called.
0: Thank you, Mike. Yeah. And I, I come, I, I really love that point. I mean, I, I think it's important you mentioned that because, like, yeah, you're right. Like, I, I mean, to what extent, or a degree, could any of us truly be, could hold our moral ground in anything like that? We don't know who's investing in any company or, organization or or even universities or corporate or uh leagues it's a good point like there's degrees of this everywhere college football is no different pro sports is no different just not to this extreme degree where you literally have a government funding something but still you're right like you're absolutely right i mean we have dealt with this with china I'm not, again, like you said, if I get any deeper into this, we will be uh, be extending beyond the boundary of our show. So I'm not going to do that, but but you're absolutely right, right? I guess it's a really good point and I I appreciate you making that point. And so we'll see, I guess we'll see, but I do feel weird right now about this and uh, we'll see how things go with golf. But as long as it stays, you know, true, more or less true to what it's been, then maybe it will be okay. It's just weird. But I think everybody else feels that way. So uh, John, let's get your thoughts, final thoughts.
1: Yeah, definitely uncharted territory what we're heading into and like we've said like all we can do is wait for more information to come out so um hopefully by the time we meet again uh it'll be late july maybe we'll have some kind of idea about what next year is going to look like so um we can kind of reconvene and assess where where we are at that point but um yeah we'll see how the british open goes hopefully uh, that's you know that'll be a tremendous that like always and we'll see where we are with this whole situation
0: I uh, love John yeah I think you're right and it's I'm so glad that you've all been so like what's the word you've been like not too crazy I don't know what the word is but like I feel I appreciate your your I don't even know what the word is but just whatever the word is like it's it's I appreciate you being like, I don't know, calm about because <laughs> like you know me, I, I don't often do that, so it's it's nice to have your 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 perspective to help me through things like this. Like it's it's really great. So Andy, let's get your thoughts and final thoughts, and then we'll we'll wrap things up for the night.
2: Yeah, you know, a lot of golf, big weekend, Connecticut. You know, to to kind of piggyback what the other guys have said about like what the what the golf will look like in a few years time. It's like just to use a very watered down analogy or whatever. It's like when, when like one restaurant gets bought out by like a big management company or, you know, gets, uh, gets bought out by like a big chain or like a a company, a gets bought out by, you know, conglomerate. And they're always like, we're going to stay the same. Like, the menu's not going to change like, or when airlines merge, like, we're still going to be the same. We're going to combine the best of both entities into one entity, but obviously things change. So, you know, someone be like, Andy doesn't even know how to soak. But anyway, um, the golf. Yeah. I, when Mike mentioned like they, if they go to 54 holes, that would kind of be brinky dink, but, um, you know, PGA is a good product. Uh, it doesn't really need any tinkering. Um, but as Mike said, everyone wants to be the smartest guy in the room. So, you know, would it would it surprise you if they have like, oh, all right, on this like particular day, we're going to have like a three club challenge? Like, I don't, I don't know. Like, <laughs> nothing would surprise me at this point. So, um. We, we shall just see. But it, all we can do is just watch what's presented to us. And we got some, yeah, we got a Ryder Cup. We got a FedEx champion. We got British Open. There's some inventory up the pipeline. And uh, we know John knows this, like college football is coming, and it's coming fast. But still enjoy your summer.
0: Oh no, yeah, absolutely. It'll it'll just like we would say during the college football season, these months go fast. Like we're gonna be talking about summer today, but then like you blink your eyes and it's gonna be like college preview time, and then you blink again and we're gonna be talking about the regular season. So it's gonna be some fun times coming up. Yeah, thanks, Annie. Um, that's it for me. I, I now I'm gonna stay on uh, on Twitch for a little bit, but fellas, like I really appreciate you being on tonight. Um, thank you again. it's really great to have your expertise and honestly it means so much that you'd be able to like walk us all through this because there's a lot to unpack and i'm sure as you mentioned there are going to be more layers revealed later so have a great rest of your week thank you so much and uh you know we'll we'll keep doing the thing we will come back for the um the open recap about a month from now and we'll do i mean if you're up for a job we can do the we can do the the preview with, with with uh ron the college preview yeah the college preview Later. We'll we're working that out. But yeah, oh, yeah
1: absolutely, Dave. Come on. We gotta but get starting my uh, uh readings and doing, you know, listen to podcasts. Right. Like I'll I'm gonna be ready. Like we gotta we gotta do like we did last year, the group of five yep. on one night and absolutely. then power five on absolutely. another night. Like it's gonna be a two night series, so I can't wait.
0: And you know, Twitch is a great platform for these kind of streams. I mean we can go as long as we need to go. This is gonna be great. Yeah, I'm I'm into it, John. All right, so take care for now. We'll see you soon. Bye everyone. Yeah, I love that. I love that lead up, John. That's really great. Now you got me pumped up. I'm really ready. All right. See you, guys. See you everybody. Happy Lake
3: House <laughs> season, guys.
2: Take care. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> These, see you all know. later. Nice talking. Yeah, we same
0: thing, Thank you. Take care. Well, that's our panel, everybody. Thank you again um, for tuning in. Those of you on our podcast, I am. my name is Dave Medina. You can find me on all the platforms as Davey is eating a sandwich, except for Twitter. Twitter's got its own thing. But um, I'm on TikTok. I'm on YouTube. I'm on Instagram. And uh, actually technically speaking i'm on facebook too so um it's been great to to hang with you uh those of you on the podcast we will see you next time